Turn in your Bible, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. A couple of words, uh, prefatory comments. Uh, one, we have been in the book of Ephesians going through uh, the second portion of that, and we had entered into the household code, uh, which deals with, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, wives, husbands, uh, children, fathers, uh, slaves and masters, <clears throat> and uh, given the composition of our congregation with so many uh, single people, we did not want to neglect that. The Word of God does not neglect that. So we're taking a brief excursus, if you will. Uh, you could call that a, a, a diversion or a digression uh, from Ephesians. We will return to it uh, next rotation, uh, but this month we're looking at uh, matters that the Bible has to say particularly to singles. Now, one other comment, I uh, realize that not everybody uh, here is single, and we have people in the state of singleness in various uh, stages. There are people that have never been married, uh, not yet married. There are people that have been married. There are people that are widows. There are people that in various stages. So uh, what I have to say applies to all of that. But if you are married, uh, there's very little, if anything, that I have to say today which would not also apply to you. Uh, so please don't check out uh, and think that, well, this is for somebody else, all right? Uh, that's always a dangerous mistake to make when the Word of God is being preached. Uh, give your attention to hearing and heeding what Jesus Christ has to say to you today. So prior to reading the scripture, let's ask for God to bless uh, the hearing of his word uh, with a brief word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we come to your word uh, acknowledging that it is uh, living and active and sharper than two-edged uh, sharp, two sword. We also realize that in it you have given us all things necessary for life and godliness, no matter what stage of life that may be. So we pray that you would give us ears to hear uh, what you say to us today, and we ask that you would do it for Christ's sake. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, going to be reading a verse, uh, select, it's a very long chapter, so I'm going to be reading select a portion, uh, verses 6 through 9, and then 25 through the end of the chapter, okay? So beginning at verse 6, hear this for what it is, the Word of God. Not as a concession, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And then you'll note the next uh, verse begins with to the married, so he's changing subject. We're going to go down to the next section dealing with uh, singles in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have many worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. 
and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has discerned this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and who he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. All right, we began to look at this uh, last week. We want to continue today in a couple of introductory questions. How ought you to think about singleness? Whether you're single or married, that question should be answered by you. How are you to think about singleness? If you are single, in whatever state, how are you to live um, as a single? Well, thank God that you are not left in the dark, nor are you left in despair. Uh, Paul was single, uh, and he wrote the longest passage in the Bible about singleness. And therefore, here we find divine direction and God-given guidance for singleness. I'd like you to note at the outset, though, that the gospel frames this teaching, all right? So the teaching is directed to Christians. It's directed to those uh, uh, who are Christian. Look at chapter 6 and verse... Uh, whoops. Uh, chapter 6 and verse 20. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And then chapter 7, verse 23. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. This frames the entire discussion, if you will, all right? Uh, the gospel frames this discussion. That is, and more to say about this in a few moments, but simply that um, uh, you have been bought with a price, all right? And that is that you now belong to the Lord Jesus Christ who has purchased you with his own precious blood. And the demonstration of his love for you by the sacrifice of himself in your place as a substitute and sacrifice for your sin, all right, indicates the depth of his love. So the gospel as an indication of God's love for you frames this discussion of singleness that one ought to think about it in that context, all right? So... Two things this morning. First of all, some teaching on singleness, and then secondly, some truths for singleness. That's the first thing. We'll come back to that um, in a moment. If you were paying attention to the reading of God's Word uh, as I read it, you would note that Paul numerous times here says that it's good to be single. It's good to be single. All right. 
look at um, verse 1, all right? It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, that is, to be married and have sex, right? All right? Um, Verse uh, 8, it is good for them to stay unmarried, all right? Um, Verse 11, um, to the unmarried and widows, verse 8, it's good. Verse 11, she should remain unmarried, right? Uh, Verse 26, because of the present crisis, I think it's good for you to remain as you are, that is, single. Um, Are you unmarried? Verse 27, don't look for a wife, all right? Uh, Verse 28, if you do marry, you haven't sinned. If a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this, all right? Paul says, if you're single, you'll face fewer troubles in life. And anybody that married, anybody that's married will tell you, despite the uh, blessings of marriage, when you put two sinners together, you're going to get sparks, all right? And if anybody, any married couple tells you they never fight, they're either lying or they're dead, all right? That's just the fact, all right? Now, pay particular attention to this passage. I do want to address this uh, by way of digression to married couples. Paul says, if you get married, you're going to face many troubles in this life, all right? And every married couple fights, all right? You got to be ready for that. Don't have rose-colored glasses or be Pollyannish about getting married, all right? <clears throat> I had somebody come to me, I'll tell you a story. Somebody come to me in Michigan. Uh, they had been married, I think they had six or eight kids, I forget. They came to me on a Saturday morning, told me they were leaving. Uh, it was a wife. They were leaving their husband. I said, why, why are you leaving? She told me the reasons. I said, how long has this been going on? They said, since before we got married. Now, there's six, eight kids that had, you know, probably married 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, I forget. I said, did you ever talk to somebody about this? Did you ever talk to a counselor? Did you ever talk to an elder, a pastor, your father, your mother? And did you ever talk to anybody about this? No. I was astounded. Why didn't you ever talk to anybody about this? We didn't want anybody to know we had troubles. I opened to this text, I said, I don't have to know your personal history to know. You get married, you're going to have troubles. Paul says it right there. So if you're married, there are times when those troubles get to the point where you need an objective third party. You can't resolve it yourself, right? You should be able to, but not everybody can. It gets to that point where you need some help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't make the mistake of that woman and say, I don't want anybody to know. You're married, I know you got troubles because I'm married. And we, we fight, all right? So let's just be honest here, all right? All right, back to the text. All right, uh, singles have fewer concerns. Verse 32, I'd like you to be free from concern. Um, uh, you can more single-mindedly focus on pleasing the Lord. Verses 32, 33, 34. Single woman can more single-mindedly focus on pleasing the Lord. Verse 34. Singles have undivided devotion to the Lord. Uh, verse 35. For all these reasons, Paul says it's good to be single, right? Very important to note that. Secondly, look at verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. Being single is good and it's honorable. There ought to be no stigma attached to someone who is single, male or female, all right? 
There ought to be no talk about old maids, all right? Old bachelors, right? No negative connotation attached to being single at whatever state it is. And certainly, if Paul says it's good, then singles are not second class in the church. There are no second class Christians. You're either a Christian or you're not. And if you're a Christian, you're a member of the church, a member of God's family, beloved by Jesus Christ, bought with a price, not second class. All right? And you're not inferior. You're not broken. It's good, Paul says, to be single. All right? And it's even preferable at times. Apparently, that's what Paul is addressing here because of the present crisis. Some discussion, debate, what that is, could be the encroaching of the new age into the, uh, or the age to come uh, into the present age. Don't want to get too highfalutin here. But certainly in verse uh, 7, verse 26, 27, verse 38, and 40, Paul says it's actually preferable to be single. All right? And... There have, it's illustrated, of course, by Paul, who was single, but there have been many notable and well-lived single lives in the history of the church, all right? The New Testament uh, includes many singles, John the Baptist, Mary Magdalene, Jesus' friends Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Uh, Paul's missionary collaborators appear to have been single, include Luke, Silas, Barnabas, Timothy, Titus, Epaphroditus, Apollos, Lydia, uh, Dorcas, and Phoebe. Acts 21.9 mentions that Philip's four prophetess daughters were all unmarried. The early church leaders were almost entirely single, including theologians like Augustine, Francis of Assisi, Thomas Aquinas, Joan of Arc, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Thomas Kempis, Bernard of Clairvaux. Martin Luther, when he nailed his 99, uh, 95 theses to the Wittenberg door, was a 33-year-old single adult. At the age of 27, single adult John Calvin published the first edition of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Francis Asbury was called the Apostle of American uh, Methodism, remained single his whole life. He was a circuit-riding preacher throughout colonial America. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was single. C.S. Lewis, for most of his life, was single. John Stott who is like a great giant of evangelicalism from Great Britain. I profited immensely from his writings, his commentaries, was single and had no apologies for that. He said, yeah, at one time I tried to get married and, and was dating a girl. It just didn't seem right to either of us, and then I just got too old. But he lived his life well. Elizabeth Elliot was uh, uh, whose husband was murdered, you may remember, uh, by the Indian tribes, the cannibals. Uh, she remained single for 41 years after that. She wrote a book called Let Me Be a Woman. would be interesting to pick up. All of these people were single. And it was preferable for them to be single. Okay. So, some teaching. What about some truths for singleness? First of all, I want to return to the verses that frame this passage. Verse 20 in chapter 6, verse 23 in chapter 7. You have been bought with a price, all right? This is very important because as he addresses the topic of singleness, all right, in saying you've been bought with the price, he's in essence saying this is your identity, 
Your identity is not being single or being married. Your identity is that you are in Jesus Christ. He has purchased you. He has shed his blood for you. He has redeemed you. You were a slave to sin and to Satan. And he gave the redemption price for you. Not gold, not silver, but his precious blood. And this is what the Heidelberg Catechism expresses in its first question and answer. All right? You remember the question, I hope. All right? What is your only comfort in life and in death? Could I editorially add, what is your only comfort in life and in death, married or single? It's that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and death and in singleness to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has purchased me with his own precious blood and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because he loves me, he assures me of eternal life. Because I belong to him, he assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Your identity is that you are in Christ. Don't let singleness or marriedness be your identity. All right? You're in Christ. It's union with Christ that is the most important thing. And that's what Paul is getting at here. All right? Carolyn McCulley, who's um, uh, uh, Michelle Pinto's, one of Michelle Pinto's favorite authors, she writes in an article called Sex and the Single Woman. It's in a book by John Piper, Sex and the Supremacy of Christ. If you think Christians are prudes, there's a whole book about sex, right? So anyway, Carolyn McCulley writes this. We're single because that's God's will for us right now. Is that discouraging to hear? It shouldn't be. That's when we need to remember that our most important identity is not being single. It's being saved. God has done for us something far more important than getting us to the wedding altar. Your greatest need is not a spouse. Your greatest need is to be delivered from the wrath of God. And that has already been accomplished for you through the death and resurrection of Christ. So why doubt that God will provide a much, much lesser need? Trust his sovereignty, trust his wisdom, trust his love. Your identity is in Christ. One young Christian woman I knew moved from outside New York, moved to New York to get a job like so many of you. She said this, as a single woman, I must learn that my strength, joy, and fulfillment ultimately come from the Lord Jesus Christ alone. To expect a human being to meet those innermost longings and desires is ludicrous and unfair. If you're a Christian, you're you're in Christ. And your innermost longings and desires are to be met by Jesus, who loved you, gave himself for you, and bought you at a price of his own precious That's your identity. He has saved you from the wrath of God. He has saved you from being a slave to sin, being a slave to Satan. And he has saved you for something very important. He has saved you for 
something. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Uh, you don't have to look there. It's a short verse. I'll just read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. If you're taking notes, you can write that down and look at it later. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You've not only been saved from something, you've been saved for something, for purpose. And God has placed you in his family, in his church, in a covenant community of which you are a part. Each and every one vitally important. Each and every one placed just where God wants you. Each and every one to serve with a particular purpose. Singleness there, when seen in this light, is not a cross. It's a calling. It's a calling. All right? Seize the opportunity to serve Christ more fully. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. It's the same thing. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. The married man or the married woman is distracted. Anybody will tell you this. It doesn't detract from, deny, or denigrate marriage in any way. Marriage is a picture of the relationship of Christ and his church. It's beautiful, it's glorious, but it's distracting. I was converted at the age of 29. I got married at the age of 35. I lived six years as a single here in New York City. I had all my time, apart from working, you know, 40, 50, sometimes 60 hours a week, but I had all my time to just devote to going out, Street preaching, evangelism, right? Knocking on doors, calling, what can I do at the church? How, what needs to be done? Can I do this? Can I do that? One thing. That, once I got married, it was like, hey, I'm over here. My wife, my love, my pretty lady, the love of my life, demands my attention. And she ought to get it. But if I'm out spending all my time knocking on doors and street preaching, handing out tracks, I'm going to get that frying pan, right? It's just fine. And that's what Paul is saying. When you're single, you have time to devote to serve Christ more fully. So serve. Your identity is in Christ and is part of the covenant community. You belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to God's family. This is vitally important. You know, when we were located downtown uh, 20 years ago when we started, we used to run into a lot of street people and gangs, one thing or the other, in the projects. And and one of the main reasons uh, why young men, particularly, join gangs is because they don't have any families. There's a sense of alienation, a sense of wandering, a sense of lostness, like a leaf blowing in the wind. And they they sense the need to belong to something. Your only comfort in life and in death, in singleness or marriedness, is you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his people, to his family. 
You've been bought with the price. So serve. You are not in a holding pattern like a plane. Do not think life starts with marriage. Now. Today. Tomorrow. Devote yourself to serving Christ. The habits you develop in your single life will continue into marriage. What habits are you forming as a single now? One uh, woman wrote, when single, a woman's hope, regardless of her status, is the Lord. He is our hope, justification, redemption, and the true perfect man, true for both those who are single and married. Our potential earthly marriage points to our union with Christ. Regardless of your status as a single person, you are part of something great and bigger. Your experience and current temporary status is for the glory of God and the blessing of the church. The hope that Scripture holds for us, writing as a single, is that you are first redeemed, second a woman, Third, a member of Christ's family. Fourth, a member of his local church, your family. All of these things come before your single status. As a woman, she writes as a woman, it's your privilege and duty to work alongside godly men to achieve God's kingdom on earth without, through being gloriously feminine. You can, in your differing roles, context, do most of the things that married women do, but with greater freedom. Make a lovely home. Learn to be generously kind and generous. Learn to respect men. The world, the devil, and the flesh don't want you to do this. Learn to love and care for children. Learn to love and care for those in the golden years. Learn to work well with and alongside men at work and in ministry. Learn to encourage, buy real estate, become a great cook, work to be a great help. Learn to be an amazing conversationalist. Read broadly, do fun things. Visit museums, learn to ask great questions that draw men out or help to facilitate conversation. Be organized. Walk in beauty. Learn to cook. Host a dinner party. Learn your theology. Let your works praise you in the gates. What habits are you learning now? Because life does not begin when you get married. Use this time to serve Christ. Be godly now. Be holy now. Be effective now. Be serving now. If you are not content as a single, you will not be content in marriage because contentment is not determined by circumstances. But by your heart resting in Jesus Christ. Richard Baxter, again, in Carolyn McCulley uh, quotes her. Did I miss a quote here? I think I did. Oh, I did. Look at Proverbs 31. Yeah, we got time. Look at Proverbs 31. Now, this is a very interesting passage. A lot of people don't like it because they think they have to attain to the ideal woman. 
It's ideal in the sense that it's exemplary. It's not that one person is to manifest all of the qualities of the Proverbs 31 woman. It's that she is the ideal woman. Now, pay particular attention here. Look at the beginning of Proverbs 31. This is often overlooked, and we quickly go right to the the woman's qualities. But verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, an an oracle that his mother taught him. In other words, Proverbs 31 isn't written to a woman. It's written to a man. Read on. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Are you a Proverbs 31 man? Now, what's going on in the book of Proverbs? You realize that this is a whole book of the Bible written to young men. If you're a young man... Right? Here's a whole book of the Bible written to you. Maddox, this is a Bible written to you. Right? Owen, to you. A whole book of the Bible. Isn't, that, isn't God good? He said, I want, I, want, I want young men to have a word just for them. And what's the point? The point is how to be wise. How to grow into wisdom. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? And the whole book of Proverbs is instruction to young men, by inference young women, right, on how to be wise, how, how to live in the fear of the Lord. And when we get to Proverbs 31, we have the ideal woman posed to the son. I submit to you that what we're seeing is the ideal marriage. And the ideal marriage is Christ and his bride, the church. All right. Chew on that for a few thousand years. You can talk to me about it another time. Let's come back to Proverbs 31. All right. What's it have to say here? All right. The Proverbs 31 woman is this also is Carolyn McCulley. Same article. Sex in the single woman. Sex in the supremacy of Christ. Proverbs 31 woman is a savvy businesswoman with financial assets. She's an encouraging and enterprising wife. She's an affectionate mother. She's a gourmet cook. She's an artful homemaker. She speaks with wisdom and cheerfully trusts the Lord for her future. Verses 14, 15. I'm not going to read the verses. You can look at them. We see that they're to cultivate a love for the home even when they're not there very often because Scripture emphasizes the priority of hospitality. We should see our homes as a place for evangelism to the lost and service to the saints. We don't have to be married to own a home, china, or furniture. We don't have to be married to have house guests, at least most of them. We do have to be intentional about being home and cultivating domestic skills. Our model is Lydia, who was a successful single businesswoman in Philippi, and yet who was ready to extend hospitality to Paul upon her conversion. From verses 16 through 19, we have an example of how to wisely steward finances, professional skills, time, and training. If the Lord brings a husband for us, these skills and savings would be a blessing. If not, they'll support us and give us resources to further the gospel and support the local church. From verse 28, we see that we are to be intentional about investing in the next generation. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Are you participating in the work of evangelizing and discipling the next generation? Are you being faithful to love the children who are already in your lives? Uh, Elder Santana mentioned the opportunities for service are multiple in this congregation. 
Are you stepping up to serve? Are you serving? I'm very thankful I can relate to you. We just had new member interviews before welcoming everybody. Many of the, uh, many of the people that were interviewed said, I'd like to help with the children. That's exactly what Carolyn McCulley is talking about here. John Stott, who never married, expressed that he was thankful that he has too many people to count around the entire world that he's met on his speaking and writing uh, 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 events that call him Uncle John. Who will get to heaven and thank the Lord for the influence of that unmarried man in their life. The Proverbs 31 woman's generous orientation to blessing others stands in stark contrast to what our culture has created and deemed important for modern women. Amen. You go, girl. That's the message, right? Break that glass ceiling. You crush it. How different. How different. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your singleness. Now, Richard Baxter, if I can find it. I just put it away. Where is it? There it is. If you don't know Richard Baxter, he's, uh, he's an old Puritan. He wrote the Christian Directory. He's kind of known as the pastor's pastor. That book, A Christian Directory, is, is like two volumes that thick with print about that small, right? I mean, it's just numerous stuff about how to be a good pastor. It's invaluable for, for pastoral work. So anyway, he wrote this uh, in uh, an essay called The Saint's Everlasting Rest. And with this, I conclude. God has not promised to rescue us according to our time schedule. If it appears that your prayers are unanswered, do not dishonor the Lord with unbelief. Waiting in faith is a high form of worship. In some respects, it excels the adoration of the shining ones above. God delivers his servants in ways that exercise their faith. He would not have them lacking in faith, for faith is the wealth of the heavenly life. He desires that the trial of faith continues until faith grows strong and comes to full assurance. The sycamore fig never ripens into sweetness unless it is bruised. The same is true of faith. Tested believer, God will bring you through, but do not expect him to bring you through in the way that human reason suggests, for that would not develop your faith. Christian, believe this and think on it. You shall be externally embraced in the arms of that love which was from everlasting and will extend to everlasting, of that love which brought the Son of God's love from heaven to earth, from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to glory, that love which was weary, hungry, tempted, scorned, scourged, scourged, buffeted, spit upon, crucified, pierced, which did fast, pray, teach, heal, weep, sweat, bleed, 
die. That love will eternally embrace you. You're not on hold. Waiting in faith is your high form of worship. And though you may not be married, you are eternally embraced in the arms of everlasting love. You have been bought at a price. You belong, body and soul, in life and in death, in singleness or marriedness, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all your sins and set you free from the devil, who watches over you in such a way that not a hair can fall from your head without the will of your Father in heaven. And because you belong to him, he assures you of eternal life and makes you wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for these words which you moved the Apostle Paul to write and have your Holy Spirit record them for us, those upon whom the end of the ages has come. Strengthen us, move us, and draw us ever closer to yourself. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen.